My name is Dr. Tram Jones. Starting in December 2019, my wife and I lived in Haiti. Recently, given the current insecurity, we are out of the country, but we continue to support and work with our partner clinic, Lesquati Moon, with its 53 employees on the ground in the city of Quati Bouquet, Haiti. It was January 2022. The two journalists, Wilgins and Amadi, were in Laboul 12. This was not a place they enjoyed being. Laboul was once a wealthy area, high above the Haitian capital of Port-au-Prince. That had all changed six months before. The primary road to the south had been blocked and there was no end in sight to the impasse. The only way around was through a small road that started in Laboul. Anyone who wanted to move down the mountain to the southern peninsula would need to go through it. This had, predictably, led to a gang war for control of the passage. The two men had been called to meet with one set of gangsters that were struggling for control of the area, a gang that was led by a man that went by the name Timakak, or Little Monkey. The group wanted to speak to the media. In the days that followed, the bodies of these two men would be found by the public, both dead from gunshot wounds, one to the temple. A criminal investigation would be difficult, not that anyone expected results. Eight journalists had been killed in Haiti since 2000, and none of their murders had been solved. The police could not even access the area where the bodies were found, for fear that the gangsters would still be there. This was just one of many instances of violence against journalists. The next month, another journalist was killed and two more injured while covering a protest. However, this is not a podcast episode to detail violence against the press in Haiti. Let's just take that as a matter of truth. Today, I want to use the Haitian experience to explain how people get news and information in a country where the free press struggles. First, it's worth talking in generalities. I find that many Americans, when they come to Haiti, try to stick to, quote, trusted sources. Where are the reports, we ask? And it's not our fault. We grew up with the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, PubMed, and Google Scholar. The problem is that in Haiti, especially in the last few years, getting data and news is very challenging. You might ask yourself what the average Haitian feels about the United Nations. Well, in the U.S., that's easy. We just fire up the phone lines and get a poll. We can all visit Real Clear Politics and see all the polls aggregated. But in Haiti, only a portion of the population has phones, and it's more likely to be the rich half of the country. You could go around asking Haitians, but if you're an English speaker, you're likely to be asking predominantly very upper-class Haitians in government who speak English. That is anything but a representative sample. Or maybe you would like to know what percentage of the population is malnourished. Well, exactly how are you going to estimate that by going door-to-door in some of the most dangerous slums in the world? When Americans try to find the truth in Haiti, they often act like American doctors do when they first arrive in Haiti. We doctors are used to having the most up-to-date evidence and every test or medicine that we might need. But often, as a doctor or health practitioner in Haiti, you have to logic things out with incomplete information and evidence voids. So how does one do that with news? Well, the first step is to go to your gold standards. For English speakers, that's likely the Miami Herald or the Haitian Times. For French speakers, Le Nouvelliste is Haiti's most reputable newspaper, published since 1898. But if you only listen to these, your news is likely to be several days old. And news is important. The knowledge that a certain area of the capital is in conflict could be a matter of life or death and completely irrelevant in 48 hours. 
After newspapers is the radio. Radio is very important in a country where the literacy rate is 61%. Even for those who can read, only about 5% of the population speaks French fluently, and even less speak English. This means that newspapers, although important as gold standards, aren't accessible to the vast majority. Radios are constantly running throughout the country, some officially licensed, many just little ham radio setups, little more than a citizen who decides he wants to talk. This has the benefit of being spoken and up to the minute, but sacrifices some in terms of how much you can trust the information. And for these two outlets, newspaper and radio, the threat to journalists is very real. It's very hard for these publications to report news that is not favorable to the prime minister or to gang members because the owners of the paper and the reporters themselves are so exposed. If something hostile to a major player is written, this can be a death wish. Ironically, sometimes the newspapers and sources outside of Haiti are the only ones with enough safety to write fully about delicate subjects, but they're also the ones that are furthest from the action. So it's a catch-22. The next place people turn to is the broad world of telejol, Haitian for word of mouth. In recent years, this is primarily through social media. For myself and most of my friends, the first place we go is WhatsApp groups. Most of us are in large security groups on WhatsApp, and every member reports things that are occurring in their neighborhood. People forward videos and messages from group to group so that a small message can go viral in a few minutes, passing from group to group until the entire capital knows. When the president was assassinated last year, I had photos of the dead bodies of the mercenaries on my phone by the end of the day. Gang leaders often make their announcements in a WhatsApp message that then gets forwarded over and over until everyone knows. I can still hear in my mind the voice of Kwadi Bouquet's gang head telling everyone to stay at home because he was going to make Kwadi Bouquet hell on a certain day last year. A controversial one is YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Last month, the Washington Post did an article on this. I'll admit, it's so common, I didn't even give it a thought until the article came out. Most of the gang leaders have their own channels on all these sites. Because they're speaking and writing in Creole, the censors don't seem to be able to pick up on it. Izo, one of the more well-known gangsters, has an aspiring hip-hop career, and his YouTube alternates between rap videos of him surrounded by women and smoking cigars, and then videos in which he threatens the population that if one of his soldiers is killed, he'll kill 30 in return. In one bizarre combination of these two genres, He made a music video in the central Port-au-Prince courthouse that he and his gang have now taken over. One of the primary gang leaders, Barbecue, regularly makes his press announcements on Facebook. Whenever other gangsters are upset that the police are showing too much activity against them, they air their grievances online. Recently, on his YouTube channel, another gang lord demanded that the prime minister step down or he would release all sorts of incriminating information about the government. Back in October... When 17 American missionaries were kidnapped in Kwadi Bouquet, their captor went on YouTube and demanded that $17 million be paid to him or he would have them all killed. The bizarreness of this situation sometimes goes unrecognized. It would be as if the New York Mafia in its heyday had a dedicated cable channel where they could threaten the public and issue ransom demands. When I talk with my friends, they desperately want the social media sites to take these videos down. In the past, before social media, Gang members did not have significant reach. Now, they can not only terrorize the bodies of Haitians, but they can also terrorize their minds, issuing threats with impunity. As we talk about communication, though, we have to recognize that there's a lot of fake news in Haiti, 
and I mean a lot. If you think it's a problem in the United States, Haiti is 10 times worse. As I reflect on this, and I have no backing for this, but this is just my thought, I think that there are two reasons for this. First, in the United States, we've seen that fake news more easily preys on the elderly, people who did not necessarily grow up with the internet. While young people in Haiti are often able to tell the difference between fake news and real information, a lot of people in the last decade have gotten cellular phones and thus internet access for the first time. Perhaps we can extrapolate that people need a certain amount of time with the internet, or, or maybe even to grow up with it, to understand what is fake and what is true. For someone who has only had a cell phone for a few years, this is a big challenge. Secondly, there really is very little definitive news in Haiti. Other than the massive stories that attract the attention of the Herald or Le Nouveliste, many other stories are unverified. While I know the media is controversial in the United States, and which media you trust probably depends on your side of the aisle, at least we can admit that there are some reputable sources. And I, I know it's a fraught topic, but imagine trying to determine truth in a country with very little journalism and mostly vloggers and forwarded text messages. To understand the reality in Haiti, I have some personal guidelines that I follow. I'm far from an expert on Haiti, and I'm not Haitian, so take that with a grain of salt. First, I think you need to immerse yourself in the culture. Join the WhatsApp groups, learn the language, talk to as many people as possible, listen to the music, travel around, read the history. In short, learn the flavor and the feeling of truth. This can guide you as you hear news tidbits. Does it feel right? Next, talk to the people in the area concerning a particular story. What do they say is going on? And lastly, once you hear a news tidbit, search the major sources to see if someone has reported it to confirm it. I find that hearing something on the ground and then searching the news sites works much better than the other way around, just reading various newspapers. I hope this is useful not just for people who live in Haiti, but for those that try to understand countries without a robust media. For example, if you want to understand the 2011 Egyptian revolution that was planned mostly on Facebook, or if you want to understand how news is disseminated in villages throughout sub-Saharan Africa, it's probably not dissimilar. I think the key is that if you continue to act like an American, demanding absolute proof and citations of everything, you're probably always going to be behind and uninformed. But neither can you believe every text message you receive, or you'll become the dupe of fake news. As with many things in Haiti, the art of discerning truth requires much more skill than in America. You must balance all your sources to come up with the best estimation of reality. In a country fraught with danger, it is a competency that Haitians must begin to cultivate from a very early age. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. We are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.